Imagine you're David Ortiz. You just retired last year, and the Red Sox keep inviting you to spring training. You've seen older players there before, and you told yourself, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not coming back. I'm good on that. But it gnaws at you a little. You think, maybe I should. You think about it more, and you think about it more. And one day, out of the blue, you just show up. You start saying hi to players, they are saying hi back, and it seems great at first. But the conversations, they're over much faster than it was. You're not being treated like one of the guys anymore. Fast forward a couple months. You're at a charity event with other alumni Red Sox players. And you realize you're no longer on the outside looking at them. You are one of them now. Fast forward again, and people have been talking about the atmosphere at Fenway. It's just not the same since you left. And then you hear Dan Shaughnessy on a podcast say this. I think it's a significant drop-off if, if you have David Ortiz since uh, 2003 and kind of gets larger each year. And now you're looking at 2017 and you're going out there without him. It's, it's an enormous void because uh, he has... He's been the face of the franchise for quite some time and through some really good times. So, uh, yeah, his impact on and off the field, in the community, obviously going back to the 2013 marathon bombings, uh, and just he's been great to fans and kind of a, a figure that, you know, kids, grown-ups, you know, non-baseball fans is embraced by all. You've heard this. You heard this last year. It's just the media. They're spinning it for a story. But over the course of the rest of the year, you feel incomplete. You don't feel the undying attention that you abhorred while it was poured on you as a player. Oddly, now, you wish it was an ocean that you could wade in. The alumni parties, the signings, even the occasional get-together with past teammates, it just isn't the same. The void that is present is oppressive at times. You wonder, how could this be? How could I, a multi-millionaire, beloved superstar, feel alone? Let me say this loud and clear. Does that make sense? Anybody out there wants to throw some questions at us, at MSW Sports. It glued everyone's eyes to the television. Sure. You know, I hear waste of money and things like that. I mean, it's not your money, so who cares? Welcome to Making Sense with Mark and Tom. Here are your hosts, Michael Mack and Tom Hillis. We found that it could even be harder when it's a player that has a large team around him or her versus in a smaller circle. You have more people to rely and depend on. You have more obligations, more responsibilities, where by yourself, it's just you. You make the decisions, you call the shots. But in the same breath, you don't want to let yourself down. These decisions that athletes make, whether it be on a team versus a single sport, have a really hard decision to make. And retirement is probably the biggest decision that they have to make in their entire life. 
No one knows when it's time to hang it up. No one wants to. It's just your time. When that time is going to be decided, it's not up to the athlete. The athlete should know. And others around them should also know as well. Here's former Olympian volleyball player and current speaker and author Annette Lynch talking about how much easier it is for single athletes to retire versus when you're in a setting with team athletics. It depends on, again, the, the individual on, on how they are going to uh, prepare. Um, I, you know, I see highly successful team athletes, um, professional football and everything, and they go on to be successful in business because they've started to take tiny steps and, um, and you know, whether they've had good mentors or uh, good instruction to be prepared with that. Um, but again, it, yeah. It can be detrimental if they haven't been prepared or forewarned. It depends on their their team experience, on whether uh, you know they're in a team where really it's like you know you don't have any personal say. You've got to do this and be here, do that, or they're given a little bit of autonomy so that um, and to maybe some leadership skills and, and development in that way that can help them branch out and enhance their personal development. In Annette Lynch's book, Success Beyond Sport, she goes into eight winning points that will allow athletes to be successful in something other than the sport that they've played for their entire lives. I mean, some of those are motivating you to strive and achieve a new success, expanding your identity. You are so much more than just a sports person and also getting direction and purpose. I mean, when you couple the feeling of not being able to rely on things that seem so certain for you, or at least to you, retirement can be different because you had team meetings scheduled, your working out sessions were scheduled, not to mention the games, but then also the recuperation and rehab time. They were all scheduled for you. And athletes practice repetition. I mean, they do it so much the approaches is almost with an accuracy that would make someone working at NASA proud. I mean, it's real in-depth, it's real precise, and when athletes retire, they lose that. People will ask them, you know, what are you doing since you stopped playing? Nothing, I'm bored. Some athletes find a way to stay successful and busy. Other athletes cope with trying to find something to do because that structure is lost. Annette also came on and talked about that structure and how retirement impacts that. Yeah, I think again, uh, you know, being from the sport that I was, I had that benefit of having to to drive my own structure. Um, yes, there were, uh, there were times when uh, the organization, the beach volleyball in, in Australia created a structure, but we were still uh, a lot of the times on our own and, and having to, to drive ourselves and get our own coach and organize our own travel and everything. And so, um, but you're right in that you get used to a certain structure. So, you know, I, knowing that structure is important, it's, 
outside of sports, like, okay, how can I put structure to this? And uh, and my husband will attest to this. You know, I have a high work ethic and drive because I, I, I want to have structure to my day to accomplish things and be productive, um, you know, especially when I'm working for myself um, and, uh, and, and, you know, even for, for people that I work for. Um, and but whereas I, I see it with... Uh, Team athletes, professional, um, you know, athletes have been brought up in a team where they're basically told where to go, what time to turn up for training, and what to do. And they're, all their travels organised for. You know, there there is a greater loss with how to you know run their own personal lives when they're not told where to go, and and there can be a little bit more aimlessness with that. And so it's um, it's a skill to learn if one doesn't hasn't acquired that through their sporting career. I think uh, the individual athletes become a great people to employ because of certain skills. Um, and some sports lend to that, the individual sports, whereas the team sports don't lend to that in the fact of uh, individual time management. But then there's the teamwork aspect and, and other areas that you gain benefits from having been involved in sport. Annette had an individual athletic viewpoint, but I think she hit home on the team sport aspect as well. It's easy for someone on a team sport to be more involved with the team and everything that is happening with that team, but a big question remains. Why are athletes disregarding professional sports initiatives for financial education? This is extremely prevalent in the NFL and the NBA. They've gotten better. Um, I think they do a great job of educating the athlete from day one and providing the programs as they go along in their career to prepare them for life after sports. We have a, we have a retirement uh, association. What I would like to see is more of those programs being required as they're playing. Um, definitely I'm for that. In post-career, uh, uh, I think they, that can step up. To, to, to another level. I think there definitely needs to be in place, especially within the first two, three years, first two years, if we're going to say, you know, budgetary-wise, the first two years has to, uh, is critical time for athletes because all of, like you said, to that point, they're, they're dealing with, in a lot of cases, 93% of them get divorced. Uh, they're dealing with, now for the first time, scheduling their lives 24-7, where, you know, we're pretty structured as athletes. Day-to-day, our, our, our game is... We're told where to go, where to be for 11 months out of the year. And uh, so having to fit our time with constructive, um, you know, things to do is is difficult for most athletes. And then being at home, dealing with family 24-7 is a new thing. Uh, and, And then that quiet, sitting in quiet. That was Rick Fox speaking with Larry King about what he feels the NBA can do when it comes to retirement. When we spoke with Senior Associate Dean from Boston University, Maria Anderson, she also shed some really great insight on this topic as well. And the gentleman I was speaking to last week, the wide receiver, said that, you know, the NFL has these internship programs and that he only found out about it by reading, you know, the fine print of like his benefits package, that the representative on his team who work with the NFL for these things 
didn't make it public knowledge. It was if the team didn't want the players to know about these activities. That was that was his opinion, that he had to go find it because the team really wanted him just to focus on football, off-season con- conditioning, conditioning, et cetera, rather than take it, advantage of opportunities that the NFL had put in place. Take, for instance, former Boston Celtic great Antoine Walker. At 19, he was drafted in 1996. He was a three-time All-Star, and he signed a six-year, $71 million contract with the Boston Celtics at that time. He was on top of the world. Everything was perfect. In fact, in 2006, after he was in Boston, he won a championship with the Heat. The problem is, even though he earned over $100 million in his career, he is now broke. In his own words, while being interviewed, he had a group of family and friends he felt beholden to, a penchant for expensive cars, as well as expensive watches. But he couldn't maintain that lifestyle. All right, so you decide, what, that this is the life for you, you keep spending the money, but then something happens. The money runs out. What happened? Well, it's a combination of things. I think one, what we just talked about, the lifestyle. Um, I lost a significant portion of money um, gambling. Um, I used to go to Vegas and gamble. Um, I lost the bulk of my money um, investing in real estate, um, in which in 2007, 2008, we went through the re- uh, recession. I'm sure this is a worldwide thing that we all went through. And I got caught up in that web, and that, was, that ultimately ended um, the bulk of my wealth. So you add those three things together, um, they played a huge part in me losing all my finances. Mm-hmm. You know, Mike, it's funny. Rarely do you hear a guy come out and say exactly what happened when he lost everything. Most of the time, it's tight lips, keep this under wraps, we don't want to talk about this, I don't want anybody to know that I've fallen this far. It's kind of funny to me that more players haven't come out, but I think maybe this is kind of part of the change that we're starting to see. The slow process, but it is a slight change these players are starting to see these financial woes and kind of waking up a little bit more. Yeah, and I think, too, the other statesmen of these sports are coming out and saying, I fell in the pitfalls of the financial despair that I went through, and I don't want you to go through the same thing. So by telling my story, yes, it's going to help you and hopefully avoiding what I did and have you more aware and have people around you more aware of the same evils that I faced and I think that's important it is and and, you know I think a lot of times when you hear the stories uh, about players that are having issues uh, mentally having issues health wise that kind of also brings to light some of the issues that you're going to have later in life if you don't have the money that you're supposed to have because of the millions that you've made They, they often say I didn't make the kind of money you have you are making it yet you're throwing it away or yet it's it's gone before you even know it And, you know, I think these two things go hand in hand, the psychological effects of retirement and the lack of money or the money issues that you have once you've retired. Yeah, I mean, let's look at it from an everyday people standpoint. I mean, take you and I, for instance. We lose a car. We don't have the means of going wherever we want to go, whenever we want to go there. And that's taken away. And we kind of lose ourselves if we don't have that. So we blame athletes for not having the financial education that they should or the wherewithal to know if I spend this amount of money on this investment or I buy this, I won't have money down the line. We we do that. We blame them. 
But we have to look at it in a sense of, let's break it down. They lose this, they're hurting. We lose something important that we really thrive on. That's important for us as well. And we lose it. What do we do? And I think the psychological standpoint, that will hurt us like it hurts the player. And of course, we're not making their money. Of course. But in the same instance, that still takes a toll on their mind frame. Right. But what I think the difference is, they can get a new car. It's almost, I don't want to say throwaway in their mind, but at that point, if their car is totaled or if their car is gone or stolen, they now have the money to go ahead and go and get that Does car that... without any issue, and they've become used to that. So that falls to the mentality. Then. Right. That's what I think happens is you become so used to this quote-unquote lifestyle. We've heard many players talk about the the parts where they get caught up, the family members that they have to take care of, that they feel like they need to take care of. Mom needs to get a house. Dad needs to get a car. My boys need to see the type of lifestyle that I've been talking about, we've been talking about. And I think a lot of these players feel like it's their responsibility to do that for everyone around them. And I think that's where guys get caught. And women, I'm sure. It happens to women too. But I also think that when you have players in certain situations that are coming from a lack of money, coming from a lack of financial education like you talked about, that's where these problems really begin. And you give an 18, 19, 22, 23-year-old kid this kind of money and you don't prepare them mentally, I think that you need to look at the clubs and say maybe they should be doing something more. Maybe there needs to be a mandatory program, something that Maybe even a money management program that's set up by the club that is mandatory, not optional, mandatory, if you're going to be getting paid this kind of money and representing our team. Right. We all know hindsight is 2020, And recently there was an article in the Players' Tribune written by Kobe Bryant, and it's titled Letter to My Younger Self. And it first starts off where he says, Dear 17-Year-Old Self, when your Laker dream comes true tomorrow, you need to figure out a way to invest in the future of your family and friends. This sounds simple, and you may think it's a no-brainer, but take some time to do and think on it further. He said, I said invest, not give. Let me explain. <laughs> you know, it's funny because he had huge deals. Big time deals. Sprite was one of his big deals. I think he what had eight, nine different sponsors, and then the rape allegations happened, and they all went away. And they all decided to say, "Yeah, we're not going to be with you anymore." I think he kind of understands. I think if there's anyone that understands how it can all go away, and then you have to build yourself back up in that way, he might be one of the few guys that has been able to live through it, experience it, keep playing, keep making millions. And you wonder why he wanted to make the money he wanted to make at the end of his career. And people question his, I guess, motives. Well, his motives was he wanted to make money. Yeah. And he could make money. Yeah, and Kobe even said he went further in the letter. He said he didn't have a great relationship with his parents because of money. He said, don't give to your family and friends because not only are you just feeding them a fish for a day, you're not teaching them how to go out and get that fish and you kill their independence and growth. So I think Kobe Bryant now knows being that elder statesman to a younger athlete who might read that and say, yeah, I know your boy wants a new Ferrari. Hold on for a second. Let's think modestly 
and let's think about the future that I have to protect and I'm done playing the sport that I love. I try to have at least 15 minutes of still time and just kind of sit in my thoughts in the morning and just kind of meditate. And normally what happens with me is my mind would always drift to the game, always. And then I found myself sitting there and my mind wouldn't drift towards the game all the time anymore. And that's when I started realizing, you know what? It's getting close. You know, when you hear Kobe Bryant tell that story, it's almost refreshing to hear an athlete go out on his terms. More times than not, you're accustomed to hearing this athlete retired because of an injury or he couldn't make a team and he wasn't able to compete any longer. If some athletes don't know when it's time to hang up. So to hear something like that, go out on your own terms, you're at peace, and it's a positive story, we're all for it. In doing this series, Tom and I, we've discovered that there are a lot of bad things that come out of retirement. And when you have an athlete like a Kobe Bryant or like a Tim Duncan, go out on their terms, it's definitely something that we can appreciate. Here's former All-Pro defensive end and linebacker Patrick Kearney talking about his time in the NFL dealing with finances, retirement, and what he's doing to help current athletes to avoid these perils. Well, it didn't change a whole lot uh, in that I, when I retired, I went right to a business school at Columbia University. and. Um, very high demands of my time, and, and you know, therefore the, the structure stayed intact. It was after I graduated, um, where uh, you know I was just forced to discipline myself and do a lot of work from home uh, before I went to work for the NFL, and, and currently doing a lot of work from home. Um, and it's a matter of being your own boss and enforcing that structure on yourself. And um, it is an important uh, important psychological uh, issue to, to make sure that uh, you know you're accountable to somebody, even if that somebody is yourself. Yeah, that's true because a lot of players don't get acclimated to that post-career where there's a lot of free time and it's very important to stay busy. Um, financial advisement, we, we see, you know, in ESPN 30 for 30 on Broke, we hear about different athletes who have these huge contracts but then don't have any money once three or four years down the line they're done playing. Did you have any... Uh, you know, people advising you on how to save your money, how not to spend it, uh, how to make good investments. Your financial background, how, how did that come into play uh, in the NFL? Well, I was fortunate early on to understand that financial advisor is a job title and not an accreditation, hmm. and that um, you know, just you know, a nice suit, a firm handshake, and a smile does not mean that they know what to do with a dollar. Um, and I was very fortunate in that aspect. I was also very fortunate to have a, a veteran, Lester Archambault, who was in his 10th year when I was a rookie, hand me a book called The Millionaire Next Door and tell me to read it. And uh, Lester was a, I believe it was an electrical engineering major, uh, industrial engineering major, I'm not sure, but out of Stanford with, uh, you know, a, I think a 3.5 GPA. So when someone like that walks by and hands you a book and tells you to read it, you read it. And, you know, that was the a big eye-opener in terms of understanding, you know, how the truly wealthy people in our country live. Uh, you know, there's a quote in there all the time that talks about uh, the, um, we're just talking about like uh, cowboys, for instance, you know, you know, big hat, no cattle. 
And I think the first step towards a financial downfall for an athlete is to be the kind of person who is a big hat, no cattle, has other all their affluency outwardly showing in, in jewelry and cars and houses and everything for the world to see um, versus you know, the opposite of that, which is the person who stays humble, lives um, very appropriately for their age and has a long-term vision to, you know, not necessarily be noticed for their wealth, but have the confidence to understand what's, what's resting behind them and that they're growing something and building something you know, not for tomorrow, but for decades to come. Um, just to flip it to the other side, with the financial uh, as a player, but then for your professional career, your name, vice president, benefits and legends for the NFL, we you know think to ourselves as you know as fans, at least from my standpoint, watching the game, seeing contracts given out, and then also looking at it from stories of athletes spending their money wherever they may do it, so in a club or, you know, on a car, a house. As far as the NFL goes or any other major league sport, is it their 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 job to, you know, give athletes the wherewithal and the knowledge and the education on how to spend that money? Um, if you could shed some light on that so that athletes don't end up broke three years after they stop playing football or any other sport for that matter? Uh, well, the NFL in particular, uh, a part of my employment when I was there uh, was to put together an off-season uh, personal finance boot camp, which we did, and we ran for the second year this past year um, down in Fort Lauderdale, uh, sponsored by the NFL and TV Ameritrade. And, you know, we went from 20 participants in the first year to over 40 in the second year, mostly by word of mouth, which uh, was encouraging. And you know, I expect that to continue to grow. And un- unfortunately, it, it oftentimes won't be until you've learned a hard lesson financially that they'll realize that, you know, it might be an investment, a, a worthwhile investment of their four days uh, to come down there and give the time to, to get an understanding of what investing really is and, and how fiscal responsibility plays into investing and how this is a, a game that should be judged you know, by the decade, not by the minute. Nice. Do you think a lot of athletes will take advantage because it's out there? It's, you know, it's, it's too easy, too small of a time commitment to, to pass up. Uh, I'm a, obviously being the creator of it. I'm a big advocate for it, but, um, uh, you know, I, I certainly will stand by the fact that if you go and you are worth, you know, six figures, this program will be worth at least six, six figures to you. If you are there and you are worth eight figures, that program will be worth an additional eight figures to you, just having the knowledge to arm yourself, to um, learn how to evaluate those who you've entrusted to, to supposedly grow your wealth. Whether it's the responsibility of the league or the duty of an athlete to make sure that they are financially secure will always be the elephant in the room. One thing is for sure, two things are certain. We love athletes. While they bring us joy, We hate it when they leave. Basically, this series has taught Mike and I that we should be giving these athletes roses while they can still smell them. Meaning, what they go through on TV and in the media is just a small blip of what they actually face on a day-to-day basis. And we thank them for every moment. 2016 was a very special year for retirement. From Peyton Manning 
to David Ortiz, we remember everything that they have given to the fans, the clubs, and most of all, the game. Because one thing's for certain, when they start to play the game they love, they don't think about how it's going to end. Thank you for joining us for this episode and this entire series. Thanks to all of our guests who contributed to it as well. For our next series, we jump into the fascinating world of esports and discuss how an underground sect of video game players has become a phenomenon that is sweeping the globe. Think 10 quote-unquote gaming athletes, one arena with 20,000 screaming people on a major sporting network, as well as an online black market skins trading that has the gambling world on its head. Thanks. You've been listening to the Making Sense with Mike and Tom podcast on storyball.org. You can also find them on Twitter at MSW Sports. Listen to this and many other podcasts by searching Storyball on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. Thank you.